The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you how you can use negotiation and persuasion to get more of what you want and how to make the difficult conversations in your life easier. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to give a few listener shout outs. I'd like to give a shout out to John from Minnesota, Danielle from Ohio, and Zane from Australia. So you know I love hearing from all of you. So if you haven't yet, please connect with me on LinkedIn. There's a clickable link in the episode description that takes you straight to my LinkedIn page. So just connect with me and I will shoot you a personal message. I really want to know what kinds of topics interest you, and LinkedIn is the easiest way for me to connect with you. And for those of you who are looking for the free negotiation guides from previous episodes, like the Introverts Negotiation Guide or the Fun Negotiation Style Guide, those links are in the description as well, so you can just click on those and get free access to those. Today we're talking to Professor Katherine Kelly from my alma mater, The Ohio State University, Moritz College of Law. Catherine teaches legal analysis and writing, and she's responsible for the law school's bar exam support services. Now, when I say bar exam support services, what I really mean is that she helps students who are freaking out about the bar exam. And so for those of you who don't know, the bar exam is a three-day long, 15-hour hazing ritual that all lawyers must go through in order to practice. Needless to say, a significant portion of her job encompasses managing people's emotions while persuading them to adopt a specific course of action. Here are the things that I want you to focus on throughout the interview. We discuss the importance of body language in these conversations. We also talk about how to build trust. We also discuss how to be empathetic and emotionally aware. And lastly, of course, we talk about how we're able to persuade these people to take the right course of action. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Catherine, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So um, let's start off this interview with a little bit of your background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, I'd be happy to. I am an associate clinical professor of law and director of academic support at the Ohio State University Moritz College of Law. I've been here about four and a half years now. And in my role at Moritz, I teach two first-year classes in legal writing analysis and research, and then I also teach a third-year class on advanced analysis skills, and that's geared toward the bar exam, which is the licensing exam that's required for all attorneys to be an attorney to practice law. And as my role in director of academic support, I work with students to prepare for the bar exam itself. And the support I provide, it's not about teaching the test, because Law students are smart and they have the knowledge. That's the easy part. What I do is help develop strategies to manage your time, strategies for managing the massive amount of material that students are responsible for learning, strategies for managing fears, anxieties, dealing with the unknown, because that's what the big fear comes out of, the unknown and the unexpected. And so we prepare for that. And so in a, in a nutshell, that's what I do here at the law school. 
Very nice. And it's, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because you described the bar exam as a, a licensing <laughs> exam. I think of it very differently because <laughs> it's more vivid in my memory because it wasn't that long ago. No, and the bar exam is the one experience that every attorney shares. And so, and it is a high barrier to entry at a very late stage for people who are not attorneys. Other professions have um, barriers to entry, other exams, but they're much earlier in the process. And the pass rate is very high in other professions. And for the bar exam, it's after you finished everything. You can't even get a job or practice as an attorney until you pass this exam. And the pass rate is, you know, in the low 80s or upper 70s. And so you're looking at a chunk of people who are not going to be able to have gainful employment unless they pass this exam. And so it's a little bit scary, but that's where I come in. Right. And so the, the average is high seventies. And then what is Ohio state's average? Well, our average is in the 91, 92 percentile for first time takers. Of course we have the highest pass rate in the state of Ohio and it is about 10% over the state average. So our graduates do exceptionally well on this test. Nice. Well, I think you deserve a little bit of credit for that. That's good. (laughs) I think just a little bit, just a little bit. Nice. Yeah. I remember when I was taking the test, that fact, even though it should have given me a lot more confidence that I went to this school and I should pass because 92 or so percent passed, Mm -hmm. it made me more scared because I was like, what if I'm in that 8%? That would make me feel really bad. And so that kind of gives some people an idea of like the emotional state that we're in. So when it comes to teaching them the strategies that they need to manage their time, fears, and study, um, how do you help them to manage their emotions? Like if somebody just received bad news, like they just received news that they failed or they're stressing out about this, the circumstances, what is your role? How do you work with them? Right. Well, and there are people that don't pass the bar exam and people don't pass basically for one reason, and that's because they don't prepare. And that sounds kind of crazy. Like, well, why wouldn't you study? And there are a variety of reasons why people don't adequately prepare. A lot of that has to do with a fear of failure. And that also sounds weird. Like, well, if you're afraid of failing, why are you going to fail? When you're afraid to fail, it's because you're afraid to give 100% of yourself because you're afraid that you might not be good enough. So if you look for external reasons, it's not you. You didn't pass because you didn't study. So it's not personal. And it kind of disconnects from that. And I set that up because that's part of the reason that I have to know why you failed in order to help you pass the next time. And that bad news, it is devastating. And, and it's, it's up to this point, your whole life has been geared toward this. And Kwame, you know how you felt when you passed and just the rush of emotions and relief and excitement that you felt. And it's you know the opposite when your name is not on that list. And, you know, no one likes that to happen. I don't like it when people fail the bar exam. I can predict pretty accurately who is going to pass. I don't like that I know the names I'm not going to see. But I will say I'm, I'm a lot better now at dealing with that bad news and that person than I was when I started because no one likes bad news. Um, I used to hem and haul. I would try to make it not so bad. And this actually made it worse when I would be talking with this person because they knew I was uncomfortable. That made them uncomfortable. And it was just extremely awkward. And I had to 
step back and say, so what can I do to deal with this? And I realized that I wasn't preparing for the situation. So I was acting like the person who didn't prepare for the bar exam. It was bad news. I avoided dealing with it. So I learned that I had to process it myself in order to help someone else deal with this news. So if, if I want students to move forward and be successful, then they have to trust me and know that I have solutions that will help them. And so what I did, you know, I'm a lawyer. When I'm faced with a problem, I research it. I search for a solution. And I went to the medical field because I thought, oh, doctors, they're experts in delivering bad news. So I'm going to see what do medical schools do. And they teach and prepare their medical students how to do this. So I, I looked outside my field and I pulled basically two key points from that for myself. One is to be genuine and one is to be clear. Being genuine I mean, being authentic, treating, you know, being respectful, treating the person with respect, empathizing with them. And you need to be able to relate to that person. I can put myself in that person's shoes. And that is helpful because when someone receives bad news, they failed the bar exam, they feel utterly alone and no one else understands. And if I can empathize and be real with them, they come out of that, that aloneness and realize there's somebody else who gets what I'm going through. And then being clear. If I have to say the information, they need to know the information. And they're looking at me not only to give them information, but to be a source of strength, right? To be that support. So I have to be straightforward professional. You know, it can't be, well, you failed. That was horrible. That was the lowest score ever. That's too straightforward. But I can't kind of beat around the bush. You didn't pass the exam. No, you cannot appeal your score. No, this is not a mistake. Your option is you need to take the bar exam again. I've learned that those are the things I can be very clear about. Can I appeal this? Well, do you think they'll recount my score? No. I used to say, well, there's a small chance. No, there is not a small chance. So I have to let them know, no, this is the bad news. You have one option, and that is to take the test again. And so in delivering that news, it's kind of being tough, but being soft at the same time. Wow. That was really, really good. There's so much good stuff that I could go into here. I'll just go chronologically in, in what you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You said early on, people would be able to tell that you were uncomfortable with the situation. What um, vibes do you think you were giving off to uh, let them know that you were uncomfortable, which obviously had a negative mm -hmm. impact on your ability to deliver the message? The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. 
Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely body language. And for me, I would not make eye contact. And I know this about myself. When I'm not comfortable with a situation, I tend to look up in the corner of the room. And I know that as I've practiced just preparing to give presentations or anything, it's always a good idea to get feedback from people. And that is consistent feedback. They could tell when I was uncomfortable because I'd look up. So I knew that I was doing that. And I, if we're meeting in my office, I realized that I would be kind of squirming in my seat. Just, you know, women have something called a power stance that we do to show that we are in charge and powerful. And you can be standing or sitting and I need to be sitting up in my chair, making that good eye contact, not, you know, slouched over, leaning over, looking somewhere else, keeping my hands really kind of, it sounds like little details, but like in front of me on my desk and really physically engaged with the person knowing that they are the most important person around, even if there's only, um, it's only a one-on-one conversation, if my body isn't squared with theirs, then they know that I'm not focused on them. In my word choices, um, that comes back to that clarity. It's okay, like I just did, it's okay to pause and think, but, um, well, you know, I guess those are stall tactics and they're pretty obvious and they're not professional words. So, and I don't care if you're talking about the bar exam or in any type of, you know, any business environment you need to use in, um, at Moritz, we use the, the term phrase that pays. Those are the words that matter. They're professional words and we need to use them. We don't go, gee golly, or yeah, or I don't know. You need to be that professional so that the person knows, again, that you're the expert and they can trust you and listen to you. I love this. This is this is really mm-hmm. great because body language is huge. And mm-hmm. have you seen the TED Talk by Amy Cuddy? I don't think so. Okay. I'm was, writing it down now. Okay, yeah. So Amy Cuddy, A-M-Y-C-U-D-D-Y. Um, okay. It's a really great talk. She... Um, her background is in psychology and she was talking about what she called power poses and how mm-hmm. taking different stances and taking up more space um, not only makes people more confident in you, but also mm-hmm. makes you more confident in yourself because it, yeah. uh, your body actually produces more testosterone when you are sitting in a position that takes up more space, which allows you to speak with more confidence. And, and I don't remember much more into the psychology and physiology of of the science behind it. So I'm just going to stop there. But mm-hmm. um, I, kn- I know it actually has a physiological and, and cognitive effect on your perception of the situation and yourself. So um, positioning yourself well is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And another thing you said was when you would say, um, or something like that, the equivocation uh, is huge. Um, one of the people in my negotiation seminars one time said, hesitation breeds mistrust. I was like, that's, that's brilliant. 
you should be teaching this. <laughs> but, it, and, but it's true. And it's okay, to, but there's a difference, I would say, between hesitation and pausing. And yes. sometimes I think that as Americans, we do things very quickly and very fast, and we're uncomfortable with silence. And so we want to fill that silence, but we shouldn't, because what we think is an hour is two seconds, and we need to get comfortable just taking that second instead of blah, blah in that second and, and doing that and because then it is hesitation and so take a moment to gather your thoughts and then say what you mean and make it meaningful instead of just blithering on right that's a good point and it's an important distinction too because sometimes you rush you make mistakes and mistakes are hard to fix especially in these mm -hmm. these touchy situations so yes taking mm -hmm. time intentionally is very very important to do one thing you said as well was you would prepare for these conversations. So what, what would that preparation entail? For me, that preparation is, I'm going to say personal. So I know the individuals that I'm dealing with because they're students that have been in the school, or I do work with individuals from other schools, but I've been introduced to them from someone else. So I can think about that person individually and what they need and what they're feeling and you know, kind of how they might rebound from this and what they need. And an example I'll give is a graduate of more 2012 who also happened to play Division One football. And I know what this particular person did to prepare for the bar exam the first time, not that much, um, and was not surprised when he did not pass. But I also know, okay, he is an athlete at a very high level. And the way that I am going to speak with him and deal with him, I'm going to reach him on that level. Because I can say, all right, let's, let's do it. It's time to suck it up. You can work hard. I don't want any excuses. It's game time. Let's get, you know, put your game face on. I could say that to that individual. I'm not going to say that to somebody who, I'll give another example, whose wife was very ill about six weeks um, during bar study and the person decided to go ahead and take it again. I, I will say his wife is fine. I'm not going to say suck it up to that person because I know what their experience was. And so we have to say, okay, let's look at that. And it's going to be a little bit more gentle, I'll say. But I try to connect with each person individually and not just generically because I have a special education background. And so my whole life has been the formula doesn't work. We need to develop the individual plan. And so that's basically my philosophy and how I deal with everything is developing that individual plan from the formula. I really like that because it shows that you're you're willing to customize your persuasion strategy for mm -hmm. the person that you're dealing with, which is key. You know, it's really important because a lot of times people try to use the, the exact same tactic every mm -hmm. time, maybe because it worked the first time, but it, it doesn't work that way with everybody else. Right. And I think that there's a basic foundation. It's not that you have to reinvent every single time for every single person. That's pretty much impossible, but you have a foundation and I'll, I use the word in legal writing, a framework. It's not a formula, it's a framework. And framework is something that adjusts depending on the situation and the audience. And so that is the same here. There's certain foundational concepts that are the same, but it also, how you use them depends on who's in front of you. I love it. And you mentioned earlier, trust is going to be key when you're mm -hmm. um, dealing with somebody in this kind of emotional state. So what were the kinds of things that you did to build trust with, with the people? Trust is absolutely key and because that person is going to rely on you. And I used to really push my credentials or I've been doing this a long time or here are my stats, but 
I've learned that the words are a little bit meaningless. You have to back it up. And I will say I got that idea a couple of years ago um, from an article in Sports Illustrated. It was about um, OSU's football and the path to winning the first ever college championship and how the team was able to overcome all of the, I'm going to say, perceived setbacks, broken wrists and quarterbacks getting hurt and um, I think two or three quarterbacks getting hurt throughout the season. They had a loss. And it really came down to um, Urban, Coach Urban Meyer adopted this philosophy called E plus R equals O, which is event plus response equals outcome. And you can be the greatest coach in the world, but you have to, if someone doesn't trust you and your ability, they're not, you're not going to be able to push them very far. So by demonstrating my competence and my ability to help someone, then, and how I respond to a situation and how here's what the outcome is, then that person will trust me and, and come on the journey because it, it really is about how do you respond to the situation? And they need to see how I respond in a competent and professional manner. And so just saying, oh, I'm the expert isn't enough. They have, that person has to see it and feel it. And, you know, part of that trust comes from holding them accountable People will come in and they fail the bar exam and they're upset and there's a lot of external blame, which is very typical in any bad experience. They don't like the outcome, so they're going to blame the event for that outcome. External conditions are never the reason why. They're just not. It is how you choose to respond. And so I have to hold that person accountable after they've made every excuse in the book. It's okay. Now let's talk about this. So how many practice questions did you really do? How many hours did you really study? And that trust comes from kind of that tough love, to use a, a cliche. So it, again, there's a lot of balancing. So I've got to be nice and understanding, but then I have to draw the line and say, okay, let's talk about this for real now. Let, let's, you submitted one practice essay out of 10. Okay. You did all of these practice questions and you never scored above 30% correct. Did you ever go over any of these practice questions? So starting to just show them that I know what I'm talking about and I know what it takes to succeed and how we can move forward together to do that. This is really good. And I think there's um, two things that I want to highlight here mm -hmm. um, for the audience, because this is uh, one of the core themes that I keep going back mm -hmm. to. One of the things you said is after you've heard all of their excuses, and I think it's really important to dig deep on that one because you said after they've given the excuses, you didn't jump mm -hmm. in in the middle of them and, and tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> You're like, okay, let me let you exhaust yourself. Tell me what you need to, to tell me. And then, you know, now I'm going to ask you some questions. And the beautiful thing about that is it dem you you build trust by listening. So they, mm -hmm. they believe that you have, you see the value in what they have to say. And then instead of correcting them harshly, you ask them questions and you know where you want them to go with this logical path that you're creating. Um, and they can kind of get to a point where they convince themselves after they get that all out of their system at first. Oh, I mean, that's absolutely what I want and what they need. Um, I want not that I want them to think it was their idea. But they, I need buy-in. And something that I tell my students, whether it's the first day of law school or a bar exam or really in life, I don't want you to do something because I told you to do it. I want you to understand why you should do it and then want to do it. And 
in my head, I am saying, well, I told you you needed to study. I told you to do these practice problems, but I can't say that. And I don't want someone to tell me they already failed. They know. They know they messed up. So they don't need any more reminders. What they need is someone who is going to let them feel and process, right? You got to let them go through that. You can't, I'm going to use the term hijack emotions. You can't do that because you can't hijack someone's emotions and tell them how to feel. They'll get there. You can, you know how you want them to feel, but they got, they have to get there part of it on their own, but they need some guidance because you can be sad. My mom used to say, you're allowed to wallow in self-pity for a little while, but then you got to climb out of that pit. And so I'm going to let them feel sorry for themselves. But then you got to stop. Uh, there have been times where I have said to someone, we are going to pick a date, Monday, November, you know, or, you know, this year, Tuesday, November 1st, and you're going to stop your self-pity because you can't let that go on. So they have, that process has to move forward. And sometimes you have to kind of give that a little nudge. And, and what I found is that when people know it's okay to feel really bad and to be upset and to be angry and to blame or, or whatever. Okay. They get it out of their system and then they know, all right, but I got to put this behind me because I've got to move forward because you can move forward when you're still, when you're really upset or angry, but that's a very heavy burden. And I'd rather walk without that burden. I'd rather set it down. And it's a lot easier. And so it, that's, that's that mindset that we have to come to. That's really interesting. And what else is interesting to me, because for those people who are listening to this late, it mm -hmm. is almost the end of October. And then um, you would give them about two weeks or so to wallow. Was that right? Oh, no. Well, Bar well, it would depend on the person. Um, okay. There are some people that I would give them, you know, so for Ohio bar exam results are coming out on Friday. When people don't pass, I usually don't hear from them right away, and I'm not going to reach out to them because I don't know if they're ready. So they will come to me. And so let's say that somebody calls me on Monday and we talk, and I would, you know, I'll give them maybe a week because we don't have to start studying right away, but I know that the longer the negative emotions continue, it's just a deeper hole because you're digging, 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 and the longer it's going to take us to get out of it. And the reality of this particular situation, it's a bar exam. It's a test. Come on. Like, you don't need two weeks for this. This is not a diagnosis of an inoperable brain tumor. And, and I will put it in that perspective. And I have said, if this is the worst thing that has happened to you in your life, then you have lived a very lucky life. And I have one time have a student, I said that because he was getting a little whiny and I said that and he paused and he looked at me and he goes, this is the third worst thing. And I said, well, okay, third <laughs> worst. But, and I was curious as to what the other two were. And I said, well, then you have lived a wonderful life if this is the third worst, but that is putting it in that perspective. They don't need that much time because we have work to do and we need to get started. And for the listeners out there who aren't familiar mm -hmm. with law, who don't really, who, who write, aren't really getting the context, let me set the stage mm -hmm. a little bit better too. Because one thing you said is you typically don't re reach out to them until they're ready. And people might be wondering, well, how do you know if they passed? Well, let me tell you, the, um, <laughs> this test is offered only twice a year in July and February. And mm -hmm. the way you find out whether or not you passed is the Supreme Court mm -hmm. writes a list and publishes it online 
and everybody who passed is on that list. So anyone in the world can see at the same time you did whether or not you passed or not. So that's an added layer of pressure. And so the people who pass, it's not a it's not a private failure. It's public. So that's why people it hurts so much when you don't pass yeah. the first time. And I will tell you when you say that the public failure is something that a lot of my students that's what they're afraid of. Well what will other people think? And what I my response to that is, well, let's talk about that. Put yourself in that person's shoes. If your best friend or your brother or your mother did not pass, what would be your first thought? And 100% of the time, the student's response to me is, well, I'd want to make sure they're okay. I'm like, exactly. Would you think less of that person? Well, of course not. I would be worried. I want, I want to make sure that they know that it's okay. And so I'm like, okay, please listen to what you just said. And so that alleviates a little bit of the anxiety ahead of time, even though it is that public failure, the people that matter to you don't think less of you. They are concerned about your well-being, And that's what I want. And I even bring that out, you know, when people fail and they come to me, I'm like, no one is judging you. No one. People want you want to make sure you're okay. And they really have faith in you and believe in you and want to make sure that you're going to do this again because they know that you're going to pass. So let's take that public failure and, and turn it into really a, like a positive and how it is a support system. That's a really great example of a powerful open-ended question because with that mm-hmm. question, you had them walk through a, a different reality mm-hmm. that they haven't really considered. Mm-hmm. And they essentially are doing the work for you. <laughs> They're telling mm-hmm. themselves that it's not that bad. That's a great question. <laughs> Well, and that's because they have to do the work, right? I can't do it for you. Believe me, I would. I would love to. But really, it comes down to you doing it and realizing that you can do it. Right. Is is there a time, let's say, if somebody doesn't come to you, um, mm-hmm. how do you know when they're ready? I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of mm-hmm. create this, generalize this to somebody who see somebody in pain and they're like, do I approach? Do I wait for them to come to me? What What are some signals that could help somebody in this type of situation make the right move without pushing too hard? Okay, if I, it's a really good question. If I know the person well, I will give them the weekend and I will reach out on Monday morning. So results come out on Friday. I give that person the privacy for you know that weekend, let them talk to their family. And then Monday morning is when I will reach out Usually with an email, if the person is here, because these the individuals usually aren't here, so I'm not going to see somebody on campus. If I did, I would go and say, I would go see that person face-to-face and say, I'm thinking about you. Come talk to me when you're ready. So that would be the initial reach out. If I don't know the person very well, I'll give it a couple more days. Um, I think it's similar to the grieving process. When someone, you know, someone close to you and you're grieving, someone has passed away. If it's my good friend, I'm in that close circle. I need to get there sooner. If it's a coworker that I know, I need to be in that second, you know, circle. If it's just an acquaintance, I can wait a little bit longer um, because the person is also still dealing with their emotions and how they deal with you on a regular day-to-day basis. If they're still feeling really raw and upset, I don't really want to talk to somebody I don't know because I won't be able to be myself, but I don't let it go. I'm even just thinking in terms of the bar exam, I don't ever let it go. Two weeks is the longest that I'm going to let it go. 
because then it just starts becoming this downward spiral. And so I think it does depend on the situation, but it also depends on the person. I don't know if that really helps answer the question. Oh, it definitely does. And mm. and the great part about that question is I was asking as much for me mm. as I was for everybody <laughs> else because I was wondering how you were going to handle that too. But I think that's a really good rule of thumb. The closer you are to somebody, the faster you should intervene mm-hmm. and then give more space if there's really more distance between you and the other person in a on a relationship level. That's a really good rule of thumb. I think all of us have experienced some type, we've all experienced something bad in our lives where we've either been grieving or we've lost someone or just lost a job or something. And how many of us walked around saying, someone please come console me, someone help me. We're not asking specifically, but we want people to come up and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm thinking about you. And if you can think about that experience in your own life, and it did make you feel better when somebody sent you a card and said, this stinks. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about you. Or even a text. Hey, I'm thinking about you. That made you feel better. That's what you wanted. So don't wait. When I wait for the person to come to me, if they don't come to me, I'm going to go to them because I know they want it. They just don't know how to ask for it. Yeah, that's a powerful way to do it too. Because just simply saying, I'm thinking about you, reach out to me when Mm -hmm. you're ready. The, mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about that is that it shows that you care, but you're not pushing your own agenda. And at the same time, it puts them in the driver's seat. They feel like they yes. have some control. Yes, I was just going to say, because it's about the control. You're there when they're ready and they go, okay. And, and regaining control is such a key to moving forward out of a bad situation. And that small gesture it's the start. And that's what you have to have. You just need that little chink. You just need to get a little bit in there, give them that little sense of control on that small thing. And we will build from there. I love it. Okay. Wow. This is, (laughs) this is really great information. You know, um, usually it takes me probably like a month or more to post these episodes. I actually Mm -hmm. have two coming out this week, the last week of October. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to figure out when to post them, but I was talking about the Rio Olympics like it was just happening. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm way behind. (laughs) But I know we have some lawyers in the audience, so maybe I'll post this Friday so they could uh, talk to some of their people if necessary. Yes, because they're all, I mean, the results are coming out. Ohio's one of the last states. So New York and California are still hanging out there for a couple more weeks, but it's coming. It's coming. (laughs) It is coming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, man. Bringing back the memories. I didn't say good (laughs) memories, but the memories. (laughs) Okay. So what is one tip you would give to our audience that could help them to persuade more effectively in these emotional situations? If there's only one thing that they could do to be better, what would it be? It's kind of the theme of what we've been talking about. I don't want to say control, but you want to, the person to feel empowered and in control of the situation, the process, and the outcome. So empowering them through focusing on strength, how they can regain control, how to address their weaknesses, not avoid them, but you know, you have strengths, you have positive attributes. Empower them to motivate them because we all know in any realm, whether it's law or business or education, generating a sense of accomplishment is what motivates people. So helping them find that control on that positive level is what's going to motivate them to move towards success. (laughs) This is great advice. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. This has been 
really fun, actually, preparing <laughs> me for the next couple of days. Right. <laughs> it's coming up. Well, you will be mm -hmm. in our hearts and minds in the next coming days because I know you're going to be going through it, too. Oh, I do. I do. I live it. It's that empathy. Yes, absolutely. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're finding this information helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. My goal is to teach these skills to as many people as possible, and leaving a review helps our search results, which helps us to reach more people. Success and failure is determined by how well we handle the critical conversations in our lives. My job is to help you to make these difficult conversations easier while getting you more of what you want in the process. I've had the opportunity to work with a wide variety of professionals, including lawyers, entrepreneurs, warring business partners, and professionals trying to climb the corporate ladder. I do this through a simple three-step process, analyze, strategize, and practice. So first we analyze the situation to get a lay of the land and understand what we're dealing with. Then we use the information from our analysis to create a customized strategy for your situation. And then we practice, which will give you the confidence you need to stand firm when the heat is on in these difficult conversations. If you don't prepare properly, you run the risk of missing out on these critical opportunities. Remember, negotiation is the art of deal discovery, not deal making. I will help you to find the best deal possible and I'll teach you how and when to walk away from a deal that's bad for you. Sometimes the worst outcome in a negotiation is a deal that should never have been made. By the end of this process, you're going to feel confident in your ability to perform and you will have put yourself in the best position to succeed. If you'd like to work with me, all you need to do is shoot me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn and we can get started. But in the meantime, please check out all of the free resources we have at the website, AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I'll catch you in the next one.